You are listening to KGNU Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. Welcome to the Trends Podcast. I am your host, Rosanna Longobetter. KGNU's Trends Podcast dives deep into the community's most pressing issues and explores the changes happening throughout Boulder County through the experiences of community members, especially those often rendered invisible by commercial media. To shed light on community challenges, solutions, and pathways forward for the county. Today, we will be taking a look at the topic of accessibility to higher education, especially for underrepresented students. Since the pandemic made it difficult for students attend college classes in person and get the whole experience, universities were forced to make some changes. Some institutions chose to no longer take SAT and ACT scores into account for admissions, while others changed legacy system and came up with creative ways of opening doors to non-traditional pools of students. After her visit to CU Boulder, Lucy Grasso from Massachusetts shared her thoughts about the college application process and what is being called test optional. My name's Lucy Grasso. I'm going into uh, my senior year of high school and the college application process. So essentially what I've experienced is that most schools are what's called test optional, where you can choose to submit your test or you can choose not to, but whether or not you submit will not negatively impact them reading your application. And so some schools have gone back, like one MIT recently brought that test because they thought that it was pretty indicative of the student if they did well on the SAT or the ACT. And then there are schools like the UC system where they've completely gotten rid of tests. So they don't even want to see your test score. So don't send them when you're applying. But what it seems to me as I'm applying to schools is they're test optional. And so if you don't really feel super confident in your score, when in doubt, don't send it. So I don't know if there's like a, a there's a baseline for most people, but it's pretty much if you don't feel like it's going to help you, don't send it. Yeah. And that's why the UC system got rid of it. I think there was a lawsuit where it negatively like affected people, people of color and people who didn't have the resources. Like I know in my town, it's a pretty suburban kind of rich white town and kids are paying $5,000 upward for tutors and they're doing better. And so people who don't have access to those tutors are going to do worse. And I think it's unfair because I think it should have been a test where it's equal. Everyone gets the same test. They step into that room. They have three hours to do it. And it, I think it's supposed to test what you can do in that three hours. And I think it's a little unfair to have all that tutoring. So in a way, I am happy that they're getting rid of it because it gives kids more of a chance. And kids who, like, just because you do bad on a standardized test doesn't mean that you're a bad student. It just means that it could be stressful and you could have test anxiety to get into that test and you couldn't do well. Like for me, I wouldn't say that I'm a great test taker. And so in a way, I am kind of happy that whether or not I get to a college is not completely resting on the fact that I get a 1520 on the SAT. Lucy Grasso also refers to the legacy system, which allows students easy entry if their parents attended the university. So completely unfair because it's just, it's like kids who don't deserve to get into schools are getting in simply because they have money. And it's also kind of like the legacy system where if your parents go to these schools, that that means that you should get in. And I think that maybe like down the line, like if you go through your comparing these two people and after their grades, their test scores, all of this stuff, then, okay, maybe one has a legacy, but it shouldn't be the first thing. And it's what a lot of colleges see is that last name or, oh, their parents went or their parents are famous. Their parents have money. 
And that's just, that's not indicative of what the student is going to be like. And I also think it puts so much pressure on the kid to do well at a school that they maybe shouldn't have gotten into just because their parent went there. Clark Brigger, executive director of admissions at CU Boulder, shares his thoughts about new legislation that allowed the university to streamline admissions, eliminate legacy admissions, and make efforts to educate local students first. There have been a lot of uh, recent legislative issues that have helped to reduce the barriers to access as well. So, uh, you know, the state passed the test optional uh, in college admissions uh, law, which basically allowed us to stop using tests. And we implemented that immediately uh, so that we were able to uh, admit students who had not taken uh, SAT or an ACT exam. And that really helped to diversify the applicant pool and helps to increase our diversity in that space. Uh, There was also a bill that banned legacy admissions. And we actually adopted that policy prior to the bill being introduced. So a a year prior to uh, when that bill was implemented, we said, you know what, Uh, legacy is uh, in the admissions process is really an unfair advantage. And we want it to be a very equitable uh, process. Uh, So we eliminated the idea of a legacy uh, uh, consideration in the admissions process. And then finally, to restate, uh, we pulled uh, a lot of our recruitment efforts and placed them all over the state of Colorado. and have a much bigger presence in the state of Colorado because we have this Colorado first mentality again. Uh, we want to uh, you know, educate the citizens of Colorado first. Um, and uh, we think that that will pay great dividends to the state of Colorado going forward. Aside from paying dividends to the state, the Colorado first focus would also benefits students' families. Such is the case of these parents who were moving their student into the dorms. Definitely we're not as prepared. I think this one, um, our son is just, hey, we'll pack this morning, so we're we're not as prepared as we should be for fourth time around, but we're good. Yeah, the, the, the first one, you know, we, we rented a truck, we, we assembled a futon bed. Yeah. This one, we just threw some stuff into a, into a car. So <laughs> you know what? Go. Just go. Yeah. yeah. So, and we're local too. We're yeah. not far. Okay. Yeah, so that helps. Away, so this is easy. So that helps. Why is it important for a student to live in campus? What do you think? You know, we chose, because we're only 30 minutes away, we chose to have him live in the dorm to be part of the community, to, you know, to get out there and socialize. We thought that was really important, important for him. It's been uh, kind of a rough two years with the kids not out there and not uh, having as much uh, social time. So we thought it would be good for him to meet the community, make some friends, get involved. And be surrounded by other students that are in pre-business. So he's kind of like on a pre-business floor. So that's that's going to be really helpful. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, You know, part of of me coming to campus today is because we're trying to find out who can access higher education. So in the case of your son, is your son, mm-hmm. um, has, was he able to, you know, get some support, some money, some grants, if you can no. share that with me? Yeah, no, that's us. We're the, <laughs> we're yeah. the helping the grants and yeah. stuff. Um, he did, um, I think partly because, uh, you know, his grades were great and, but they, you know, it's kind of need-based versus, uh, academic so yeah, but hopefully he'll work yeah hopefully he'll work on campus and and he and actually got so he got some uh, some money to go to uh, northern Colorado when he got accepted there um, but chose to come to see you instead so yeah recent stats show that in the 2020 to the 2021 academic year undergraduate students of color increase 1.3 percent from the year before uh, we've been working very hard uh, in that space, uh, trying to bring more uh, traditionally underserved students to campus. 
and that's taken uh, a renewed uh, effort in the last several years uh, while I've been at uh, CU Boulder, uh, bringing back uh, our recruitment focus uh, to put Colorado students first. Um, and, uh, you know, CU Boulder is very, very interested in uh, access and uh, removing barriers uh, to access to higher education for all of those students that have been traditionally underserved for we see this as, uh, you know, providing for the future of not only uh, Colorado, but uh, the world to educate uh, our own first. Brigger says CU Boulder is making a big effort to bring more first-generation students. Brigger advises students who are not academically prepared to look into community college especially we see use adoption of the Bridge to Bachelor's Degree program of the Colorado Community College system. Right. Uh, we encounter students like that uh, every year. And um, if a student is not academically prepared to start at C Boulder, we will encourage them to start locally at a community college, uh, such as Front Range Community College right in our backyard here. Um, and uh, we have recently signed the Bridge to Bachelor's uh, degree program uh, with uh, with the uh, Colorado Community College system. And basically what that does is that guarantees a student admission into the university of their choice to finish their bachelor's degree as long as they complete their Associate of Arts degree or Associate of Science degree and have a 2.0 or better. And in doing so, a student proves to us that they can do the academic work at the college level, but also it reduces their costs significantly in that process. Brigger shares that CU Boulder has distributed more than $38 million in institutional grants and scholarships to Pell-eligible students in 2020 to 2021. So students will still have to pay. Certainly every student is different in that space. So, uh, you know, we encourage all students to submit the, the FAFSA, the uh, reapplication for uh, federal student aid uh, for students, and then we package them. And, um, you know, last year alone, we gave out uh, more than $38 million in institutional grants and scholarships to Pell-eligible students. So there is a lot of support for those students that need the most support. In order to qualify for a Pell eligibility, a student must come from a family that makes $60,000 or less per year, says Brigger. Yeah, so, you know, all of that data is out there on the website. Yeah, and I can talk kind of at all. Uh, high scale about it, but uh, a Pell eligible student is basically comes from a family that has an adjusted gross income of around $60,000 or less. And we have the most uh, money available to help students that are in that income threshold, but we, you know, continue to help students throughout all income uh, thresholds. Uh, but, um, for a student that is Pell eligible, we, can basically uh, use that money to offset all of their tuition and fees for the lowest income students. So you're talking about the cost of the university, but what about the cost of living expenses? What can a student uh, do? You know, that's a great question. Right. And um, room and board costs, uh, you know, they add up as well. And especially in an expensive area like Boulder uh, or Boulder County, uh, you know, is an expensive area. So one thing that helps us in that space is with the uh, student activity fee that all students pay, or in this case for a Pell eligible student, that fee would not be assessed. Um, they get an echo pass which is basically free transportation in and around the Denver metro area uh, to include to and from the airport. But you can jump on any bus uh, or the train system and ride for free because your student activity fee has actually paid for that already. So that allows students to live further out uh, and commute for free. But the cost of living uh, 
you know, reduces the further out you get as well. CU Boulder seeks out of state students to help offset the cost for an in state student. Yes, you know, out of state uh, students pay a lot more in tuition, more than double uh, the cost of an in-state student. Um, and by charging an out-of-state student more, that helps to keep the in-state costs lower. And it also helps to provide additional funding that we can use uh, to help those lower income students to, uh, you know, get institutional grants as an example to continue to uh, pay down their uh, cost of attendance in those other areas. Uh, so, you know, many students um, also receive money that helps to uh, defray that cost of living. Recent legislation is helping students to become in-state residents after only a year of attending the university, says Breger. Yeah, right. Uh, there was new legislation introduced uh, in that uh, space. Um, and, and you're right that if uh, a student now establishes residency in Colorado uh, a year prior to entering college, that they should be an in-state resident or uh, even when, um, you know, student families are relocated due to work, um, let's say in that summer between their uh, senior year and their first year of college, um, you know, and they're not moving here primarily uh, for the uh, sole reason of education. Um, yeah, so, you know, big advances in that space, uh, as well as the uh, Native American uh, and Indigenous uh, student uh, legislation uh, that was passed and, uh, you know, that uh, CU Boulder uh, adopted with that, uh, the 48 Native uh, tribes uh, of Indigenous people to the state of Colorado now qualify for in-state tuition. CU Boulder also distribute. $48 million of pandemic-related funds, but they are not available any longer, says Bricker. Uh, I will say that, you know, C. Boulder received millions of dollars and uh, awarded all of that money uh, in the uh, last two uh, cycles, uh, academic years. We distributed over $44 million uh, that we received during that period of time. And, um, you know, now, to my knowledge, uh, there is not additional money in the current uh, year for that. Uh, we have not received additional funds in the current year for that. And really don't expect to. That was a, a pandemic-related uh, plus-up, I'll, I'll say. Um, and, uh, you know, that uh, really helps so many students that were continuing or incoming students. The COVID fund through the CARES Act, help over 14,000 students. A grant called Finish What You Started can also help, says Breaker. Uh, with the, the COVID funding uh, that we received through the CARES Act, uh, you know, we were able to help over 14,000 students. Um, basically, um, you know, many of them uh, maintaining their enrollment during that period of time by alleviating costs by like paying off their debt as an example. Yeah. Um, you know, recently there was the uh, Finish What You Started uh, state grant uh, that came out and uh, C. Boulder qualified for over $3 million for that Finish What You Started uh, grant. And again, we're using that money to uh, provide grants to students to as a incentive to come back and to lower their costs to come back to finish their degree. Many of those students were within uh, one year of completing their degree. Uh, but, you know, some had, uh, you know, a lot more time in front of them. And, uh, you know, with the economy as competition, as well as other institutions, um, you know, as competition, uh, again, it's a choice for a student. Um, and you know, depending upon where their life has taken them, um, education may or may not be a good solution for them right now. Finally, Clark Brigger says education is a difference maker. Now, we believe that education uh, is a difference maker in the world and helps to break out 
students from, you know, that lowest quintile of the um, socioeconomic ladder and really provides them future opportunities for them and their family. Such is the case of Athena Robles, who says getting access to higher education made a huge difference in her life. We're here outside a complex where students live here in CU Boulder, and I have the opportunity to speak with Athena Robles. Athena Robles has been interning for KGNU, full disclosure, in the Department of Marketing, and uh, she just wants to share her own experience about going to CU Boulder as a student with a full scholarship and um, her thoughts and ideas about how difficult or how easy it is to access education in this time. My name is Athena Robles. I'm a rising senior at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'm currently studying uh, strategic communication, minoring in Spanish, and minoring in teaching English to speakers of other languages. Uh, so this is my upcoming fourth year at CU Boulder, and I it's been a great experience, but only because I've had such a good scholarship. My scholarship is the Danielson Scholarship, and it's a last dollar scholarship, so it pays for everything my other scholarships don't, so, which means I also worked my butt off to get so many other scholarships institutionally from CU Boulder, but also like from the Pell Grant, like I get the maximum Pell Grant, my EFC is zero, so I'm receiving the maximum amount of ADA that I can, and it's just like took all of that to be able to get me to the point where I can afford college without paying and putting myself in debt. But you see so many other people and you feel feel so great thankful when I'm talking with other students who are like, my debt is like $60,000 right now. And they're like, that's insane. And I feel like almost like I don't want to talk about what, what I'm paying because I'm not paying anything really besides my books and for like equipment. But they're like, yeah, I'm $60,000 in debt. And I'm like, I don't even want to tell you what I'm doing right now because that's insane. But there are people out there and that's their only like way they can be at schools like this is to put themselves in debt. Whereas when I was like 18, like looking for colleges, I was at the point where I'd rather not go to college, just go to community college, maybe just go right into the workforce rather than put myself into debt. And that was something my family felt very strongly about that very open to me about like, hey, we can't pay for a college for you. Your options are scholarships or debt. And like that was something we talked about personally with each other. My grandfather and I like, I don't want to go into debt. My grandpa was like, okay, let's figure out how to get the most we can do without putting yourself in debt. So I went and I did like community college classes while I was in still in high school. I like worked my butt off doing like as many scholarship applications as I could. And it just put me to that point where I can now be at University of Colorado Boulder without debt and I just feel so thankful because I'm looking at all these students I attend classes with and they're just it's such an expensive price to pay for education and there are other options for people you can do trade school you can do community college but those are so looked down upon like people go oh you're going to community college like that's the best you could do and that's like no that's like still good opportunities. I went to the community college of Aurora for two years and I loved them. They had, the teachers were respondent and they got to you and they took time to get to know you and the education they provided was still as the best as it could be, but not because it was your only option, but just because that was the choice you could make to do was to just get school there. And for a while I considered getting like an early childhood teacher certificate while I was there if I didn't have the option to attend a four-year university. And that's something I still think about. That's a great option for people who are looking for ways to get an education without putting themselves into massive debt, but it's still not looked, it's still looked down upon as, as like a viable option, which is crazy because there are affordable ways. For others like Miguel, who chose not to pursue a higher education, but to master in a different way knowledge and became a chef, he shares his story of not being ready for school and not fitting in as he would have felt comfortable to do it. He's a successful chef now. He was lucky because he had a mentor. He had a teacher mentor. So yeah, uh, my name is uh, Miguel Martinez. I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, I went to uh, I went to school my whole life in uh, in the inner city of uh, Denver. I decided to go straight to work 
after after school because well I didn't uh, you know I, I really didn't find value in uh, going to college or university you know I was always told uh, would require a lot of money and you're better off just making money right outside of school I was given that mindset at the school particularly because I mean we didn't have resources really funding wasn't something that was prioritized at my school specifically and you know that was sort of a way that turned me off uh, for getting a better education there weren't programs really for uh there weren't really programs for us to uh to inspire us to you know get into a trade or you know uh, a profession similar to that yeah you know i had the privilege to uh be raised in a family where, uh, I mean, you know, I had two parents and uh, growing up, as, as I got older, I realized that, you know, that was a great blessing in itself to have both parents present at the house because, uh, you know, a lot of my peers, you know, they didn't have a dad growing up or a mother, like, you know, just parents were divorced and uh, it didn't take until I was, you know, older to realize that that was such a privilege so going back to working with my hands I mean my dad has uh, you know built a little you know company from the ground up uh, doing garage doors installing repairing selling you know everything garage doors and so that really you know that really helped uh, maintain the family so yeah I had the I had the blessing to to grow up with that already learning how to work with my hands. A student, she graduated, but she also said, I would have loved to be able to work, and I realized, you know, with my dad, but I realized that I couldn't. So the only other option I had was to go to school. But I was lucky that I found a mentor. So when we talk about mentors, who has been your mentor? And Or at the same time, you know, I'm pretty sure your father, but... If you will be able to have that opportunity to get, you know, a piece of paper, a degree, who could be your mentor at this time? Well, yeah, you know, uh, a huge mentor. And the reason why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working in restaurants, I, you know, I work with food. And I was always interested in, like, the food security, you know, regarding our community. A huge mentor, a huge role in that was uh, Miss Sarah Gunderson, who was actually my nutrition teacher at Manual. And that was one of the very few classes, apart from, like, you know, your traditional, like, you know, literature, math, like, apart from, like, those traditional subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, this nutrition class I valued a lot because... You know, it just it just really made me understand like the, the disparities that we face in the community regarding, you know, food security. Uh, that yeah, that that like that really opened up my eyes, and um, I mean, I never really thought I was gonna go to college or university, but through her help, she got me connected with. Uh, with a lot of really cool people, and uh, one of them was a professor who ended up pulling some strings for me and, you know, got got me into Johnson & Wales without, without, yeah, without, like, the, the proper steps to, to getting into school, you know. Becky Chavez, director of TRIO Student Support Services at Front Range Community College campuses, shares her passion to help students continue their higher education, especially underprivileged students that see themselves having to work and not being able to access their higher education, especially underprivileged students. My name is Rebecca Chavez or Becky Chavez and I have been at Front Range for almost 14 years. Um, I was a director of admissions and outreach and during that time I was able to really get out into the community to really champion community colleges. I had never worked for a community college or even attended a community college before starting at Front Range 
and it was probably one of the best, it has been one of the best experiences that I've ever had. Um, our mission in enriching lives through learning and working with students from different backgrounds um, to help them realize their higher education journeys, whether it's to transfer or to start in a career um, is just amazing. Um, and I've been able to be involved in, because of this, uh, the Latino Task Force of Boulder County, the Community Foundation of Boulder County. Um, <laughs> and I have served on a number of other committees uh, throughout Boulder County during my time here at Front Range. And it's just amazing to see how our community comes together to support one another. Front Range Community College offers unique opportunities through the TRIO program and other programs that support a wide range of students from high school to adult life, such as ACCESS, says Chavez. We do have our TRIO Student Support Services program, which is at a number of institutions throughout um, not only Colorado, but the United States. And we support first-generation college students, students from limited income and students with documented disabilities and case management while they're here at Front Range through to completion. Um, but we also have the Colorado Opportunity Scholars Initiative grant. And that is something where we are assisting adult students um, to go back to college and complete what they started. And then the other part of that grant is also the back to work. So if someone was displaced during COVID, the pandemic, they can also get a grant to help them to get skills and training um, that they want to, to find a job or to change careers. Um, Chavez shares that students can go for free to From Range Community College to learn technical skills like optics, automatization engineering, and electronics engineering technology. We also have, for our high school students, we have what is called P-TECH, and also concurrent enrollment, but P-TECH is a partnership between the school district and Front Range, and we work with high school students starting their freshman year in high school, and they're a college student their freshman year at wow. in ninth grade. <laughs> and they start taking classes towards an Associate of Applied Science degree. And so as they go through their four years of high school, the goal is to have them complete um, their Associate of Applied Science within those four years. And if not four years, typically they'll graduate within five. Chavez says if students apply to Front Range Community College, they are supported from the start and connected with financial aid. And they also get an opportunity to be mentored by somebody in one of our industry partners. Like our first program was at Skyline um, in partnership with IBM. And students at Skyline were mentored by people at IBM in the hopes that they would, once they graduate, hopefully work for that industry partner. And it's been a really successful program and it's free for the students. They don't have to pay for classes. The school district and Front Range, this partnerships allows them to be able to complete through that way. Federal financial aid established by the federal government has particularities, but thanks to Pathways Advisor, students get support to navigate the complex road of higher education accessibility, says Chavez. We also, in looking at some of our unique programs here at the Boulder County campus in Longmont, we have our Center for Integrated Manufacturing, and that was established a while back, and we have our machining program that is through there. We also have our um, optics program, which is an amazing, fun program where you're shaping lenses to help with communication or lasers. It's just fantastic. Um, but we've also added a couple of unique programs, um, the automation and engineering technology programs, where the automation engineering technology is actually working with robotics and they're learning how to fix them, fix the lines, and it's an industry that's definitely looking for folks to fill. And then we also have an electronics engineering technology program 
as well. So those are some things that have been on the works where you can get certificates and start at that those entry levels and continue on to with the puzzle pieces that can get you to an associate of applied science. Students need support, says Chavez, especially to help them see their real potential and the barriers they face when pursuing higher education. To start at Front Range, it's you apply, you get in. Um, I think in my history of being here at Front Range, one student has been denied and it was for reasons out of our control. But you apply and you get in and we'll look at, if you're a recent high school graduate, we'll look at high school transcripts to see how you did in high school to help place you in math or language arts. If it's been a while since you've been in school, we have um, an AccuPlace or assessment to see where you're at to make sure you're starting with the classes where you're going to be successful to set a solid foundation in writing and language arts as well as math. And we find math especially is the scariest class for our students to take. And we've had students who like that's the last class that they have to complete is math and they just don't come back. Um, but we have built in supports for students to take a college level class while having a support class built in so that they can be successful from the start. Mm -hmm. um, and then we work with them to get them into the classes. They're connected with the Pathways Advisor, who is their advisor while they're with us, and especially connecting them to financial aid. Financial aid is a process that is established by the federal government. Um, and sometimes it can be confusing, but if students complete the free application for federal student aid, and then if students are undocumented, they can do the CASPA, which is state financial aid. Um, it can open the doors to funding. So for financial federal financial aid, the maximum Pell Grant right now for this year is almost $7,000. It's $6,895. And at Front Range, Boulder County campus, if a student takes 12 credits and gets the College Opportunity Fund, that's $2,000, not including books and fees. Well, that does include fees, but Pell Grant can just about cover a full-time tuition and fees for our students. And a lot of our students we're finding are living at home if they're able to, even some of our adult students, so then they don't have to necessarily worry about finding a place to live, or they found a place and they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to stay there because it's affordable for them in whatever situation that they're in. Um, and so we definitely work with them with financial aid and our scholarship, our foundation, anybody can apply to our foundation scholarships and it's a single application. Students answer the questions and they can qualify for multiple with this one application. So we have a lot of great supports as well. COVID showed community colleges to be more flexible, adding mental health support and more opportunities for working students, says Chavez. I personally do believe that they are a barrier. Um, one, because Low-income students don't always have access to the classes that help the prep classes that help them to get ready to take the ACT and SAT classes. And I know from my experience many, many years ago, I was in a pre-collegiate program called Upward Bound, and we took the ACT every year for practice. But when it came down to having taken the right classes in high school, and my high school did not have the rigor that we needed to be successful, I took that test three times that I paid for it. And I still had a start at my college when I went to Colorado State at basic level courses um, with a lot of help from the tutoring centers and things like that. But I think access to the support, the practicing, and even the classes um, that prepare students to take those tests, I think our students are always placed into them. They don't see their potential. A lot of some of our, our students, and when I taught high school social studies, I saw some students fall into these preconceived notions of who they were because of 
where they came from and their backgrounds or how they had acted before. And once somebody saw, helped them see their potential in themselves, those students shone. They got A's, they got B's, they went to class, they became campus or student leaders at the high school. And we just need to look at every student for the gifts that they bring with them, the strengths that they bring with them, um, and get them access to the resources to be able to take the ACT, SAT, well, in Colorado, the SAT. Um, but I'm really thankful for universities moving away from those placement tests. I could even say as a graduate student, I picked programs where I didn't have to take the GRE or any other kind of entrance test because I knew it was going to be a barrier for me. I think for us, just seeing them, again, it's it's them realize, the students realizing their potential and how being bilingual and bicultural is such an amazing asset. I am myself, I grew up in Colorado and it was during a time when you didn't teach your children Spanish. And so I understand it, but I am not bilingual to be effective for anybody who comes in to help us. So we actually created designated bilingual positions at Front Range because we needed those positive cultural brokers who could explain the, the jargon and the language and the culture of higher education in Colorado to those who it was new to, whether it was the students themselves or their parents or the community at large. And we have seen such a tremendous shift in our students and their success and them seeing, I see this person who has a similar background as me doing this work. I'm gonna do that too. And what's been really amazing is we've had, right now we have at least six front range alumni who are working with us either full-time or part-time on our campus. Almost all of them are in designated bilingual positions or they're utilizing their bilingual bicultural gifts to help students. Chavez also says that the shorter certificate programs can be the doors to get to an associate in applied science degree and then transfer to a four-year university, saving a lot of money. I think one thing we learned with COVID is how to be more flexible. And so we have been able to do um, some of our courses as real-time remote. So they are online, but they have their life. And so they're actually able to interact with their professors and with other people in their classes. And it's a little bit different experience than the true fully online. But even with our online classes, we've been able to implement a lot of different support for our students with tutoring um, and access to mental health um, assistance. Um, we have been a little bit more flexible with how long our classes are. So we have our traditional 15 weeks, but we also have some shorter 10 and 12 week classes. And we're looking at potentially in the future, different kinds of opportunities, because we know our students are working full-time, they may have family or our caregivers and their students. And we have students who are doing all three at the same time and being successful. So we're just constantly looking at what we can do to fill in the gaps of service. And we've been able to do that a little bit more with COVID and the pandemic, but it's also exposed where those gaps still exist. Complete. Becky Chavez tells us about the COSI grants, which help students to complete their education if they have passed it. Yeah, so we do have shorter certificate programs and they can be five credits. So a single semester, they may be a year and a half long certificate program. Um, and those can sometimes be the building blocks or puzzle pieces to an associate of applied science. And those are what are the career focused, skill focused things in like business and welding and automotive technology um, and nursing. And then the other side of community colleges is that transfer. And so our students can do their freshman and sophomore years with us 
and then transfer to a four-year university once they complete their 60 credits with us. And over the last few years, um, the Colorado Department of Higher Education's really been working with four-year institutions and community colleges to create a better transfer process for our students. Um, there's even a new pro, a newer-ish program. It was launched right before um, COVID hit, and it's called Bridges to Bachelors program. And it's when a student applies to a community college in Colorado, who is a part of our community college system. Um, once they hit a certain point in their college high community college journey, they start getting contacted by the four-year institution and they get connected to resources. Um, and the University of Colorado Boulder was actually the most recent addition to this program. So students are already identified from their first day of applying to Front Range um, that I'm gonna be a student at this institution and they're able to get a little bit more targeted assistance that way. But we've, over the years, worked really well. There's a lot of universities who have transfer representatives who are working with our community college students their last year here, whether it's their last year or their semester, and walking them through their processes and telling them, okay, here's the person who's gonna be your advisor, and these are the scholarships you can apply for. And so it's been wonderful to see the myth of when I was in in high school way back when, um, when if you went to community colleges, your credits weren't going to very much transfer. And now it's a better process. It's still not perfect, but it's getting better and better every year. And the partnerships we've created between our community colleges and universities in the state of Colorado have just gotten so much better, which makes it better for our students. We tag along with a family to a visit to Naropa University campus, and we learn the alternatives and the opportunities they are providing to students that are in pursuit of a higher education. So Naropa University is fairly expensive. It's about 34500 I think, for undergraduate per year. Split that between two semesters, it's a little bit cheaper, but we have a lot of grants and scholarships for students, and so the average student gets around $10,000 in grants and scholarships coming in. It can be as high as $20,000 or as low as $2,000, depending on economic status and uh, different things coming in, grades, GPA, all that fun stuff. But then I think grad level wise, there's a lot more in place to help students um, make ends meet as they're working on coming in for their master's level. But there are other grants and scholarships can, students can apply to at the beginning of the year, I think Marchish time that are uh, the window closes in April and are granted in June and we've talked about that like oh, what about students like coming from low economic backgrounds that may not have these higher grades just because of being from certain school districts that just didn't get the support that they needed and so there are a lot of uh, grants that we have of four or five I think that I've counted recently that are specifically for students who might be coming from those backgrounds and they're working on putting more in place so the biggest hindrance to most students coming to higher education is cost. And Naropa is trying to find new ways to be able to lessen that cost for those students. So, But what would you say, you know, is the big difference between choosing a small school or a humongous school? Because that's like massive. That's kind of personal preference. And it's kind of like I was saying earlier is if you do well in a small environment and you can build those connections, how many uh, students do you remember were in your master's program when you were? It was around 15. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, earlier today in one of the tours, there was another student who had graduated here in master's back in 2008 that said that she felt a connection with the instructor that she had never had before. And it was, it was so jarring, just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm held to this new standard in this higher level because yeah. these instructors are so well known in their fields. It's like, yeah, they are well-known and they're gonna hold you to that high level, but they're also gonna work with you to make sure you can get to it. Yeah. So those smaller classes allow for the one-on-ones to take place more often than a class of 50 or 60. Yeah, the two years in CU Boulder is like, you know, 200, 300 people mm -hmm. and you're like in a massive class and yeah. it's almost like a theater. And then at the second year, then you get the chance to really be with teachers and classes that are like 30 or 40. 
yeah. students. Some students want to slip through the cracks and be not seen by the professor. They want to be kind of hidden in the class and just skate by, do the work, not ever have, participate. Naropa does not have that. They have students who really want to be a part of the community and a part of the class that's going on. So, And you have everything. Like you can create your own, your own degree, yeah? There is something called the interdisciplinary degree, interdisciplinary degree, which is kind of, yeah, build your own degree depending on what we offer and what you're working on. Then, yeah, you can more or less build your own degree within a realm of, of what we have. And you have a mentor who helps guide you in that. So you have more of a focus than just yeah. take anything you want. But it's also very rigorous. I have heard from people really having to study here. It's not like it's a walk in the park. Yeah, no, it, 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 there's one of our pillars is um, contemplative education. Part of contemplative education is rigorous academics, high level essay writing and very high level academic conversations that you're delving deep into topics. They may be hard to do, but you're really digging in and, and getting below the surface to find out what does it mean to you as an individual, not just memorize it for the test and move on. Very cool. Can I have your name yeah, and yeah. your title? Stephen Wagley, undergraduate admissions counselor at Naropa University. At the end of a tour here at Naropa University, on the week when a lot of students are coming back and getting situated and starting school again in this 2022. The Trans Podcast Series is made possible with support from the KGNU listener members. For KGNU, I am Rosana Longo-Better.